Um, include in the chat box here where you're from. So just like go hello from, boom. We have people, our hot map shows from really all around the world. So let us know where you're listening in from. And thank you for being a part today. We're going to pause and we're going to pray. We had uh, received word this past week from our partners in Senegal about the great unrest that's taking place there. There's a lot. There's a lot of rioting going on and so on. So they asked us to pray, and so we're going to do that. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to join me. Can we do that right now? So, Father, we just pause in these few moments to pray for Senegal. Pray, Father, um, for the unrest that is taking place, or that, God, you will bring peace and you will bring calm. Father, I pray that you will protect those um, on, the, on the ground there, um, not just our partners and their families, Lord, but just your divine protection over all, we pray. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so grateful that God hears us when we pray. Aren't you? I mean, no matter where we're from, we can pray right here from North Kitsap Community for Senegal and know that God hears and know that God answers. So thank you for joining. Hope you can join us tonight. Even if it's only for a few minutes, you come in. We're just going to pray. It's not a worship service with prayer. It's a prayer service, and we might have some worship 6.30 to 7.30. Well, let me ask you a question. How many have an influencer in your life? I mean, someone you go like, that's an influencer. Now, we know an influencer, usually, at least today, is describing somebody who has a mass following on social media. So on Instagram, you'll see um, influencers. You know, they got like tens of thousands, some of them hundreds of thousands of followers. And they can post something and it immediately influences just a mass amount of people or Twitter or Facebook or anywhere. So um, influencer. Let me, let me ask you this. Who is an influencer in your life? Just think about it. For me, um, I can think back to a number of people. My mom was a major influencer in my life. You know, just the way she lived out her life for Jesus and her prayer life. Um, the way that she loved her kids. She was going it alone. And uh, so mom, mom was huge. And I still find myself kind of dipping into the well that she created for me. Who was an influencer in your life? I have friends. You have friends. I have two friends right now today. In fact, I just, I just shared with them the influence they're having in my life. Both are facing end-of-life issues, and they're not very old at all. It's how they have lived out their life for Jesus, and I have found myself stepping back and going, that's the way I want to live. I want to live my faith, my trust in Jesus in that way. Who's an influencer in your life? Just think about it here online. Just post a, a mom, a friend. You don't have to post a name. But who's an influencer in your life? So just add it in the chat box and um, just join together. Just think about it. Who's an influencer? I'm going to introduce you to a new friend this morning. For some of you, he will be new. For some of you, you've already met him. He's not going to walk on stage, but you've read about him this past week in the book of Ezra. So I just encourage you to dive into the book of Ezra. My friend's name, who I introduce you to, his name is Zerubbabel. And you're going like, what kind of name is that? And I got thinking, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that I know, although I think it's a pretty cool name. I'm not sure I know of, of a family who has named their son Zerubbabel, but I think that would be cool. But anyway, that's who we're going to talk about today and who we're introduced to. Um, in the book of Ezra, this little short book, 10 chapters, 
Zerubbabel is one of the main characters. I shared last week, there are five main characters. There's the three kings, right? Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, and then Zerubbabel and Ezra, who we're going to meet a little bit later on. But I want you to meet him today as a real person, because number one, Zerubbabel is a real person. Um, he's not a biblical character. It's not some person that somebody made up and just stuck him in the book of, of Ezra. Zerubbabel was a real person and an ancestor of Jesus. Now, how many, when you're reading the Bible, whether you're new or you know, you're a long-term Bible reader, you get to that list of names, genealogies, and let's be honest, you just kind of skim right over it, don't you? I know you do because I do it too. You know, I think we all do it, but we're not going to skim over it this morning because as we meet Zerubbabel, we're going to see that he's really a real person. And in Matthew chapter 1, we're going to meet him. So here's what it says, verses 12 through 16. And after the deportation to Babylon, right, so that's what we're talking about, um, Je Jeconiah was the father of Sheotiel, and Sheotiel the father of who? Zerubbabel, who we have now met in Ezra. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matin, and Matin, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And so we meet Zerubbabel. Now, we tend to skim over um, these genealogies, but they're hugely important. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But you would never introduce, I don't introduce myself. When you're on your way home today, you know, you're going to stop by the store, the grocery store, you say hi to the checker, the, co the barista. You don't go, hey, hi, I'm Tom, the son of artists, who was the daughter of. Who we just don't do that, right? Because that would be really, really weird. And they would look at you as like, that is odd and you're weird. We don't do that, but it was important in biblical times. Genealogies help us understand and know with certainly the absolute certain and physical evidence of biblical characters. We come to know then, as a result of what we just read in Matthew, that Zerubbabel is a very real person. He's not a story figure that somebody made up. It's authentic and it's true. Now as we go through the first part of Ezra again today, I want us to see Ezra, um, and I'm going to do my best to help us, not as just a historical book. So if all we do is read it, you know, this is history, and now we know a little bit more, that would be good because it's a God's word. But I want you to see how it ties into our life today because it truly does. So Zerubbabel, a real guy. Zerubbabel, like Adam, very real, chosen by God. We'll see that in just a moment to carry out God's purpose. Number two, and I love this, Zerubbabel was like God's signet ring. Now, like, you would never introduce, like, your son or your daughter or your, like, this is my signet ring. I wouldn't do that, but, but he was. Haggai, who was a contemporary prophet during this exact same time. So there are two prophets we're going to talk about this morning. Haggai and Zechariah, they're contemporary prophets, meaning they lived at the exact same time. Haggai says this in chapter 2, verse 23 of Haggai. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take my servant Zerubbabel, 
son of Sheotiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. So here, God is speaking through the prophet Haggai and saying to Zerubbabel, look, you're like my signet ring. That's what you're like. Now, what's a signet ring? Ancient kings used signet rings, right? Um, as, as a way to authentic, authenticate documents. Like, it would, they would, that's me. So if my ring, right, was pressed here and you saw that on that document, it would authenticate it as being the real deal, the real thing. It was like a notary. So you've gone and you've had things notarized, haven't you? It was like a notary. So it, it was evidence of the real thing. So God says through Haggai, look, Zerubbabel is like my signet ring. Like I have chosen him and like he is the real thing. There was a huge task ahead for Zerubbabel. I'll try to describe it in just a few moments. A huge task that he was facing. Um, Zerubbabel was going to lead the way for God. But he would move ahead knowing that he was chosen by God, selected by him for this job. In fact, another contemporary prophet who I just mentioned, Zechariah, Haggai and Zechariah, contemporaries to Zerubbabel, he writes this um, in, in uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now, this is the word of the Lord to Haggai. He's my senior ringer. He's my, my chosen one. This is the word of the Lord to Zechariah. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And many of you will recognize that scripture right there because many have even committed that to memory, right? It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. I want to talk about this for just a moment because it's so important as you and I move ahead in life. What was God saying to Zerubbabel as he started this task that he had called him to? He says, Zerubbabel, it's not by your own might. And it's not by your own power. It's only by my spirit. Generally speaking, might indicate a person's resources, you know, what you have, you know, like what you could muster up, you know, to do the task. He says, it's not by that. It's not by your resources that you're going to be able to do this. It's not, it's not by your might. It's not by what you have at all. And it's not by your power. And generally speaking, power would mean like, okay, so it's, it's not by your sheer determination. I mean, you've heard that people say like, it's just, you got to just determine to do it. You got to resolve to do it. And God is saying it's not by your might, what you have in your hand. And it's not by your power. It's not just your sheer determination. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. God leads us. God guides us. God enables us. And God equips us. By his spirit. It's not by your might. It's not by your powers, Robobo, that you will be able to do this. It's by my spirit. I was um, sitting, I was reflecting um, this past week. Actually, and I was with my cat. Now, if you get my newsletter, I hope that you do. You, <laughs> I introduced you to my cat this week. Um, and... Um, I was in, just in this moment of silence, and that's what I've encouraged you to do, too. Just don't read the Bible, um, you know, and just check the box. But meditate on God's Word and think about it. And so I, I was meditating on this part of the Scripture, and I began to think 
about that moment when, when Zechariah delivered that word to Zerubbabel. What was it like? I mean, I, they, they probably weren't sitting around a coffee table having coffee or doing anything like that. But somehow, someway, Zechariah, maybe he pulled Zerubbabel aside. He said, look, there's a huge task, but this is God's word. You know, he was a prophet in biblical times. This is God's word to you, Zerubbabel. Look, it's, it's, not by, it's not by your might and it's not by your power, but it's by God's spirit. Don't forget that. And either he whispered it to him or maybe he shouted, I don't know. But the word got to Zerubbabel that it's not by anything that I have or my determination that I'll be able to carry out this task that God has set before me. It's only through his spirit. Where were the prophets? Well, in Ezra chapter 5, we read this. Now the prophets, these two I just mentioned, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And I love this. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Can you kind of create that visual, that picture, that they were doing the work, but here the prophets were going, were, were there with them, supporting them, going, look, keep on going, keep on going. It's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's by God's spirit. Keep on going. Don't let up. Can you just imagine now the confidence that Zerubbabel went through life and the task before him with those words to him? But here's the deal. Those are not just words of Zerubbabel. They are words to you and me today. That's why I say, we don't want to just read Ezra as a historical book. We want to see what God is saying to you and me today. And those words, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, are words to you and me today. Do you know that you have been chosen by God and his spirit lives in you? Do you know that? So I will, let me ask it again, and then everybody go, yes, I do. I know that. Do you know that you are chosen by God? Yes. Do you know that God's spirit lives in you? Yes. Remember what I said last week. The same God that spoke to Zerubbabel, that spoke to the prophets during this time, he's the same God today. Like, God hasn't changed. And the God who chose Zerubbabel, the God who chose, you know, this remnant of people to go back and to do his work, this same God has chosen you. And this same God has chosen me. And this same God has said, it's not by your might and it's not by your power. It's just by my spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. So here's what I want you to do. And I want you to do it online too. Even if you're alone, you're a family of one, you go like, I'm chosen. Say it to the person beside you, an in-person. Turn and go like, I am chosen. I want you to say that, right? To the person, I'm chosen. Tell them you're chosen. We are chosen. The rest of that scripture says you are royal priests. A holy nation. You're God's very own possession. And if, you're, if you have a King James Bible and you're reading that, I think it says you, you're peculiar. That's a, but it's a good word, you know. It just means you're, you're chosen by God and you're his possession. You're a peculiar people. 
as a result of this biblical truth, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out. He chose you. He called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Isn't this a great place to be? I'm not talking about in a building here or in your home. Isn't it a great place to be, an incredible place to be in life, knowing that we're chosen by God and the task before us is not carried out in our own strength, whatever that might look like. As his chosen people, we have one purpose, to bring glory to God, to show others his goodness, not through our own cleverness, not through our own power, but through his spirit that lives in us. Some of us need to give up and let God. Some of us need to stop trying to do this thing called life in your own cleverness or your own stuff. Your own power and your own might. We're going to see what that looks like in just a few moments. Some of us need to get to the end of our rope and go, look, I've tried so hard, man. I've tried to do this thing and it's just not working out. Some of us need to stop doing that and let God take control. It's with this confidence that God called Zerubbabel. Um, he heard the word from Hezekiah and Zechariah, modern day prophets, that he responds to the call of God to lead the remnant of the people back to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild the temple. And those who came with them are listed in that long list of Ezra chapter 2. So I've encouraged people, look, read as it's, it's 10 chapters. It's a short book. Put it on audio. Just listen to it. Jen and I, last night during dinner, we put it on again. It takes about 45 minutes. You get the whole story of Ezra. In chapter 2, you read the whole listing of people. Just prior to that, you see another group that came forward. It was led by Sheshbazar, um, and they brought vessels of gold and silver. Now, Here's what it looks like. Let me just kind of show you a diagram real quick here. This is um, 10 chapters to here, okay? Ezra chapter 10, before Nehemiah. So, by the way, um, read Ezra, go to Nehemiah, because it really should be read as one, one story. But um, here's the captivity we talked about last week. So Israel is taken captive, right? Um, they were rebellious, and so this is God's way of punishing them. Punishing them. We talked about God's discipline last week. But now God's calling them back. So today, we're talking about this time frame right, right here in the middle um, when Zerubbabel comes back. Then there's a gap of nearly 60 years. And then we'll talk about Ezra in, in the weeks to come. He leads a remnant of people back as well. But in this 20-some years right here, we got the first, the first return, second return. And then this gets into Nehemiah or, or the third Return. So that's what we're looking at. It's kind of a, a visual. So imagine for just a moment when they returned, what they returned to the land that they returned to. Think about it. Here's a description of the land that they returned to from Jeremiah. On August 17th of that year, which was the 19th year of the king of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylon king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord, the royal place, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. 
Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. Now, when you get into the story of Nehemiah, you can, you can see a little bit more of a description of what they walked into. Let me just show you a picture. It's not of that time period. It's just illustrative of what it could have looked like. So they walked into um, destruction and rubble. Now, if you're Zerubbabel leading a group of people heading back to rebuild, what are you thinking right now? What are you thinking? What do you do walking into total destruction like that? What do you do? I told you we're not going to look at Ezra just as a historical book. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Because when we talk about destruction, you're thinking, uh, I, I know what destruction is all like. I know what rubble's like. It's not that, but it's my life. It's, it's my marriage for some. It's my family. I mean, that's, that's what I'm facing today. That's, that's the, the rubble. That's the destruction. Um, it's my career, maybe, that through no fault of your own is no longer what it used to be. And now you're just looking at the pieces of what used to be. Or your family or your marriage or friendships or whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, it's just pieces and you're staring at this pile of rubble going like, what am I going to do now? And it can look different for everybody, every individual or every family. And maybe that's, that's where you are today. I mean, like everywhere that you look, there's chaos and there's destruction. Everywhere. What's your first response? Because what I want to say to you today is your first response may be your wrong response. Things haven't gone so well. You're looking at destruction, whatever it is, your first response just might be the wrong response. And I want to talk about that today. If we made a mess of life, we walked away from God, and the enemy has come in, and he has one purpose and that's to destroy. And maybe you're facing that type of mess today. Let me take you to a Bible story in Luke chapter 15. And some of you will recognize it. Maybe for some it would be a brand new story. But Jesus often used stories, right, to teach and to, and to, and to um, teach a, just usually a particular lesson. There's a story, a parable, it's called, um, about the prodigal son. Now, Many of you will go, oh, yeah, I know, I know that story. Let me tell it to you for those of you who don't know it. So there were two sons in this story. And uh, one son decided that it was time for him to take his inheritance and head to another land. So he asked his father for his share of the inheritance, and his father gave it to him. And then his son decided, like, I'm going to split this land. I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, he does. And just like the rubble that we just saw, just like the mess that's exactly where he landed. Like he spent all he had, um, he lived his life, and now he's in a mess. I mean, and you talk about looking at destruction. You talk about looking at mess. That's what this guy was looking at. In fact, he ended up like tending pigs. And it was so bad, 
that he began to like going like, man, I wish I could just have the food that I just fed the pigs. Now, now you got to admit, that's a mess right there, right? So, you know, I don't have any pigs. Some of you do. Some, some of you do. So you, you, you got a better visual maybe. Like that's a mess of life right there. The Bible says like when he came to his senses, right, this is what he said. He said, I will arise and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And here it is, treat me as one of your hired servants. Remember I said our first response may be the wrong response. This is what I'm talking about. He says this, look, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father what I can do. And our first response so often in life when we've made a mess of things is this, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? How can I fix this? What, what plan can I come up with? What can I do now? Let me take you back to the prophetic word from Zechariah to Zerubbabel. Not by might, it's not by your resources, it's, it's not by your power, right? Not by your determination, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not what you're going to do. And here's the, the, the prodigal son going like, this is what I can do. If I go back, I'll just tell him, look, just treat me as one of your servants. Like, I can work for you. This is my plan. And we think it's a great plan. And so he heads back. And the story continues this way. So while he was a long way off, his father sees him and felt compassion. I love that because that's just a visual of the father who's standing there waiting. He felt compassion, the father did, and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, and I'm pretty sure they're memorized words in this story. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he was just getting ready to deliver the second line, which is what? Treat me as a servant. In other words, I will work for you. This is what I can do. And before he even gets those words out, his father received him back as a son and relationship was restored. Are you, do you get the story? Like the father interrupted him and said, like, it's not, it's not what you can do, man. It's not your work. I'm restoring you back into relationship. And so this is what I want to say to you. And I said, like, our first step is probably our wrong step. It's like, what can I do? Here's what I want to say. First things first. First things first. And this is what we see in Ezra. As rubble leads the people back. He's facing rubble. It would be easy for you and me to look at that pile and go like, okay, Let's organize everybody because some of you are great organizers. You've you got this gift called administration or process or whatever. And you can look at a project like that and go like, we're going to divide people up in here, 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 and here. And now get to work, right? This is not what we see happening. The first step is to restore God. In Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, in early autumn... When the Israelites had left, had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Then Jeshua, son of Josadak, joined his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. Do you see what they did? 
It doesn't say they all joined together with a unified purpose and they all got together and they started cleaning up the rubble. They started working. That was not their first step. They rebuilt the altar of God. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar on its own side. So kind of create the picture in your mind. They're coming together. They're in the middle of all this rubble. They are afraid of everybody around them. So what do they do? They rebuild the altar of God. There was a huge task before them. There were materials to gather, preparations to make, organization. It would actually lead to a seven-month delay before they started the rebuilding of the temple. All of this within the context of being surrounded by enemies. They rebuilt the altar of God first. I would submit that though there was much preparation in the task of rebuilding, that God led them to do something far more important than the task before them, and it was this, to return him to his rightful place of worship. That was the first step. You see, when we've made a mess of life, it isn't starting with, okay, what do I need to do now? Well, how can I work harder? It's not that. It's returning God to his rightful place of worship. This was the first step. I've described this journey, this life, for the last number of weeks, and you could maybe even repeat it now. This life's journey is filled with first steps, followed by second steps. And some of us need to get back to that first step and say, God, i got to put you right back into your rightful place of worship today. The first step is followed by the second step. We're going to see that now in just, just a moment. But the first step is, God, we're going to worship you. We're right in the middle of all of this stuff. We're right in the middle of rubble. We're right in the middle of this mess in, in life. And we're even afraid of the people around us. But we're going to restore worship to you first. We're going to put you in your rightful place. The first step is followed by the second step, obedience. The first step, God, you're in your rightful place. The second step is, okay, now I'm going to walk in obedience to you. And so the people began to rebuild the temple. Ezra chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Then the people hired masons and carpenters and bought cedar logs from the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food, wine, and olive oil. The logs were brought down from Lebanon, from the Lebanon mountains, and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa, for King Cyrus had given permission for this. The construction of the temple, now the work before them, of God began in mid-spring during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem. The workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel, son of Sheotiel. He was right there. Jeshua, son of Jezodak, and his fellow priest. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes, took their places to blow trumpets, and the Levites, the descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With, thank, with praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. They've got part of the foundation laid. The foundation is laid. They returned God to his rightful place. Then they did the work. 
Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because of the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. And if you're reading Ezra, and I hope you are, you're going you're gonna to read that and you're like, well, what's going on there? So you got some who are really happy and some like who are weeping. In fact, this is the description, the joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far in the, into the distance. Why the weeping? That's a good question. And I think there's a lesson here. There was a memory of what the former temple destroyed some years ago. What it was and perhaps a comparison of the temple foundation they were seeing that caused the weeping. We need to remember as people of God his faithfulness of what he did. Because what he did brings us, I believe, to where we are today saying, God, what you did then, you will do again today. Break our hearts for what only you can do. God instill in us a deep desire for more of you, to worship you first, and then to walk in obedience. So I have two questions this morning as we wrap up and we'll prepare for gathering around the table. The first step is restoration. What step do you need to take today to restore God back to his rightful place in worship? Maybe, maybe you, you've been trying to do this thing. Maybe you've been facing the mess. And you're going like, I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to figure this thing out on my own. Like you've taken control of your life. You need to take that step and restore him back to his rightful place in worship. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe he's not really been part of your life. Maybe you've not even taken the first step to believing in him. Or maybe you have, but you can think back and go like, I, I just kind of forgot him. I placed, maybe, maybe it's this way, I kind of placed God up on the shelf. But this morning, God, I'm going to put you back. And just says this, it's just a prayer that says, God, let me restore you back to your rightful place in my life. I've made a mess of this life. In fact, <laughs> that picture like, doesn't even come close to what I'm looking at today. And I've tried to do it on my own. But this morning, I'm putting you back in your rightful place. And then I'll walk in obedience to you. That's the second step. What step do you need to take today? As we gather around the table this morning, we're reminded that the God that we read about back in Ezra is the same God today, right, who sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice for you and me and enables us to live this life out. So what will you do today as we take the bread? Say, Jesus, your body was broken and we might be made whole in every way, so God, I pray for your healing today. God, you'd heal my heart. His body was broken that we might be made whole physically. Some of us are crying out to him today for physical healing. His body was broken and he provides that. 
Maybe, maybe we're broken in finances. Maybe we're just discouraged. My prayer for you is, God, bring wholeness. Do what only you could do as in this moment, God, we restore you back to your rightful place. And some of us are doing that right now. Think, God, I've made a mess. I've taken control this morning. I'm putting you back on the throne of my life. We bring wholeness and bring healing. And then as we partake of the cup in just a moment, saying, Jesus, you died so I could live. And your spirit lives within me. And so remind me each and every day, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. Let's take the bread together, shall we? And then the cup, let's take it together. Jesus, we thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us. God, I'm thankful as we draw near to you this morning, you draw near to us as what your word says. Remind us each step of the way, it's not by might, it's not by my resource, it's not by my sheer determination, it's your spirit in me. In Jesus' name.